Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a new wave jazz artist from South Africa, bassist, composer, and producer, Shane Cooper. Hello, Shane. Thanks for coming. Thanks so much, Lee. So good to be here. Thank you. So could you tell the people about yourself, your background, where you're from? Yeah. Um, so I'm a musician from South Africa, uh, originally from a small town called Port Elizabeth. Um, currently, I live in Johannesburg. Um, I'm predominantly a jazz bassist, um, but I work I work as a multi-instrumentalist in studio as well. I also make like electronic dance music that's more rooted in kind of hip hop and house music sensibilities. Um, but as a live performing musician, my main space is playing double bass and electric bass, um, both as a sideman with a lot of uh, really great artists from South Africa, um, as well as a band leader with my own project, Mabuta. Um, and yeah, studio, live, you know, all the usual kind of spaces, yeah. Okay, like I was saying to you before, Mabuta is something that randomly popped up, and I loved it right away. And thank you. All man. those artists are in South Africa with you. They are absolutely. Um, I mean, all of the guys on the Mabuta record are—they're from my quintet, and um, all live have have been living in Joburg until recently. The the COVID nineteen situation um, has made a bunch of guys have to move um, locations due to various factors. Um, so currently we're kind of recalibrating and figuring out the next phase based on these new new locations. But um, yeah, everyone on the record is South African and, and lives here. And there's a lot of featured guests on there as well on certain tracks. Um, and they're all all South African music musicians. There's one one featured artist from, from uh, the UK and that's Shabaka Hutchings on tenor saxophone. He plays on two songs as well. Yeah. Okay. Now, did you study in a conservatory or any university? of any sort? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. I studied jazz performance um, at the University of Cape Town. Um, I majored on electric bass um, and I taught myself double bass. Um, that's why I have a kind of weird uh, DIY technique <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> um, but I have, I have done a lot of um, uh, individual study on the, that instrument with other people and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I studied it at, at you know, at a, at a, at a school that was very much rooted in like American bebop traditions and stuff like that. But I think most of what I've learned, um, as it can probably be, you know, a similar story with a lot of other artists, most of what I've learned is from my peers and, and playing in the world at, on the bandstand with other musicians, you know, in the, in the real practical spaces. Okay. So since you were in the academic world or academic world, what is something you experienced and learned in both? Like, what have you noticed is different or what you expected? I mean, I don't know. Like, I, th I think, you know, when I went into that, I was I was expecting to study um, the highest level of, I guess, like the tradition of jazz, which, you know, is rooted in, in the, the American um, songbook and, and all of the greats from America and stuff like that. But... Um, as we went through it, we realized more and more that the um, the traditions of South African jazz, the great history of South African jazz um, composers and musicians, wasn't taught in the conservatory 
um, environment and was kind of sidelined as a sort of fringe topic. Um, and most of my peers and I invested a lot of our own time into researching that music and studying it and really um, giving it the respect it deserved um, side by side with the American traditions, you know, um, and more and more that became really a, a very uh, integral part of like my development as a player was was to study the, the great lineage of the amazing artists from South Africa, both the ones that went into exile into America, the ones that went into exile in Europe, um, and those that remained in the country as well. Um, and so my, you know, I think my like core foundations of music are leaning more in that space in a way, um, even though the sound that I, I portray in all of my compositions pulls influence from all sorts of genres outside of jazz. I think my foundations as a bassist in the jazz tradition comes more from the South African tradition than the American tradition. Yeah. Okay. So who is one of your favorite South African artists though? I would definitely say um, the late Sim Awana, who was an amazing saxophonist and composer um, who I got to tour with and play with for some years before he passed. Um, also someone like Johnny Diani who um, also passed away, I think, in 89. Amazing um, double bass player. He was in exile in Europe um, and really like a super important part of the European, of the South African musicians who went to Europe. There was a very strong free movement and like very political movement in the music and, and things like that. And he was a very important part of that group. Um, so someone like him and, uh, you know, the Blue Notes, um, which was a band led by Chris McGregor, um, that Johnny Diani was a part of. Also, um, Louis Moholo Moholo, the drummer, who was also in Blue Note. So many great musicians. Of course, the guys who went to America as well. Everyone knows Hugh Masekela and um, Abdullah Ibrahim. Um, big influences, you know? Yes, I do. Okay. So, how did you see the jazz world as a student? Um, I think the first thing was just an immense kind of mountain of um, information to slowly climb and and start to feel like you could see um you know make sense of different different um kind of reach different plateaus re make achievements feel like you could grow and grow and it's it's certainly you know the more i think it's the same with any endeavor that you're you're committed to like a lifelong pursuit the more you learn the more you realize you have to learn and that's the joy of it it's not it becomes less and less daunting and overwhelming and more more of an exciting challenge um, and harder and harder to break through rule, uh, walls as you grow. Um, but I just, if I think back to when I started um, the pursuit in jazz, it was certainly this sort of insurmountable task. And the more, the more I've grown in the music, the more I feel like um, I can make sense of things and dance in dance within the knowledge I have at any given time and keep growing. And that's wonderful. You know, my favorite artists are all the ones that were, um, that would speak about the learning process right until the end of their lives or careers. Um, and that's something that I, I, I love that fact about the music is that it's kind of an infinite pool of stuff you can search and, and study, you know? Okay. No, that's good. So what is something or what advice would you tell someone going into the music? Um, I think my first thing would be to practice composing from the beginning. Like, um, you know, when I started with this music, there was so much emphasis on studying and transcribing what the greats had done, which is essential. Like there's no, there's no two ways about that. Um, but I think 
composing is something that, at least where I studied, it wasn't really an encouraged thing. If you just had that interest, you did it. And the moment I started investing more time in composing, and in particular playing instruments that weren't my first instrument as a tool to break out of patterns, so like playing piano and things like that, that's when I saw the most growth um, because I was able to not just study and kind of emulate things in a in a like a traditional context or um, you know trying to trying to understand what someone's doing over a kind of harmonic space or whatever it is like that. When you start to compose, you understand how to actually apply this vocabulary you sort of constantly grappling with into art, into into creating pictures, into creating stories that people can relate to. And for whatever reason, and I know this isn't the case at every institution, but for whatever reason, um, this was something that was not encouraged. And I, I, to all the students that I have now, because I give master classes on composition and things like that, I, I just, like even guys I'm teaching some bass to, I tell them start composing right away. Like you have to, it's it's essential. And it's I think it's the best way to make big leaps in the music, you know? No, I agree. Because that's one thing I think side roads or limits a lot of the jazz artists that I know. They grew up yeah. only playing. And then when it comes time yeah. to do their album, they don't come up with yeah. anything unique. Original. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So what is something that people seem to misunderstand about the music world? Um, wow. It's, it's, the, I, yeah, a lot of things, I guess. Um, I mean, for one, I, th I think music's been so devalued in a lot of ways as a result of, um, it being so available for, for free or for cheap nowadays. Um, and not to say I criticize the streaming platforms and things like that, but it, it really has devalued music a lot. There's only a few people that benefit financially from the streaming model and most working artists I know aren't really making serious revenue from from that. So I think the fact that it's kind of been turned into something that's expected as a wallpaper for your life without giving the same amount of money um, as people used to when they're really invested in buying CDs and, and physical albums, um, I think that's changed people's perception of just art and media in general. And it's something that I'm constantly – and I, it's not like I'm up against – those platforms because I understand that I've, I've gained followers and listeners through being on Spotify and things like that. But, um, it's super important that people still understand the importance of giving value to the art that they love, giving value to the music, um, you know, paying for a, an expensive door charge because often musicians only make money at shows, um, and, and going in and spending some money on buying records, LPs or like albums from Bandcamp and things like that. I think that's, for me right now, for the last while, that's been something that I, I try to just remind people of without it being like a, a battle or like preachy or anything like that. I don't want to do that. You know, I, I want people to still feel invited to whatever you're doing as opposed to be like forcing them to buy stuff, you know? I couldn't yeah. have said it any better. I agree with you 100%. For, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> especially over there in South Africa, what have you noticed about the music scene recently? Um, well, I guess when you say recently, everything recently is so different to, you know, just the beginning of the year um, with the COVID-19 and everything like that. So um, it's, and it, this is something I guess that's global. Obviously all the artists are like out of, out of work in terms of performances and stuff like that. So it's crazy. So just, but if I really bring it down to what, the realities are here. Um, just before the whole pandemic and stuff, we, we were struggling with the amount of venues. Um, uh, venues typically here have like a very short lifespan. Um, 
like venues where you can play jazz, let's say. So um, they would have a few years of existence and then just cease to exist because they, they're making money exclusively from the door and the bar and um, no like big corporate sponsors or anything like that. The same way you might get with like, you know, events hosting EDM or like more mainstream music. So very like a lot of instances where it would be paying to play um, and stuff, which I know is mirrored from what I hear in some of New York as well. You've got so many musicians there and, and you know, the demand versus supply and all that sort of thing. So it was already challenging prior to the pandemic. Now with the pandemic, I think a lot of venues will close. Um, I think there's the ramifications um, on the economy are going to be insanely heavy. Like the predictions now that we're going to have like a 50% unemployment in the country. Um, there have been so many companies just going bust over the last few months. Um, and already like, like South Africa is a third world country with incredible levels of poverty. It's very difficult for a lot of people who even love the music to travel to a venue to see the music live. Um, so already live music was a luxury reserved for only those that could afford the Uber that don't live too far, um, that it can afford a cover charge. So it was without it being pushed like that from the musicians at all, it was something that was like exclusive, but that's a result of the economic, um, like insanely challenging economic situation here. So post all of this. Um, I'm really worried about how few venues we will have knowing that there's like going to be a 50% un unemployment rate, potentially less people who can afford to come to shows. So something that was already difficult for people to afford is going to be crazy hard. So I just like, we're all, we're all struggling with this now, but the hope of it getting back to something good soon is not a likelihood in my opinion, which is quite heavy. So we're all grappling with that. Yeah. Wow. 50% though, unemployment. Yeah, that's the prediction. I mean, it's yet to be seen, but pr prior to this, we had 30% unemployment amongst the youth and this, this country is predominantly youth. Like it's, um, I mean, most of Africa, um, the populations are majority youth. Um, and yeah, it was 30% amongst the youth. And yeah, the prediction is 50% unemployment of those that are of working age and can work. So yeah, there's there's a few factors within that like maths, but that's a projection. And I don't think it's unlikely because already so many jobs have been lost. So yeah, I mean, I, I see stuff like that happening in the States as well. So it's, I, I know I know we're not an island in that regard, you know? Yeah. Okay, well, where do you think jazz will be in 10 years? In South Africa? Uh, that's... That's a good question. I mean, it's what's cool about the South African scene is that most of the biggest um, innovators are very young. And I know globally, there's always this wonderful energy in the younger generations of jazz artists, as well as like the older lineage. But here, for whatever reason, there's if you if you break it down, uh, the vast majority of real active players, creators, and recorders in the jazz scene are um, pretty young. And um, I think that that's going to continue on in, in a way that there's this beautiful cross-section of very powerful music from the last 10 years and continuing into the next 10 years. And it's great a great catalog of music that's going to come out. And also as a result of um, all these hardships that musicians are playing, that stuff feeds into the creativity and to the way people find, find resources to record how much energy they channel into it because I think I think there's a lot to be said for how potent art is when it's not coming out of um, you know 
having the luxury to record as much as you want, anytime you want. You know, really great music can happen when artists know so much depends on it. They've only got those few hours in because, you know, they've had to put so much into making that recording happen. And not that I want anyone to ever struggle with art, but I know for myself, um, all my recordings are mostly under very, very difficult financial situations. And it means I have to be, I have to like mean what I say. Um, there's no chance to just throw bullshit in, you know? Um, so I think a lot of the music that's going to come out of the next 10 years will be potent. People will mean what they say. And I think there's going to be, um, historically and now politics has a strong role in South African jazz. Um, and I think that will continue because there's an incredible movement, a youth movement in politics in South Africa at the moment. Um, and that's reflected in the music, uh, especially with jazz, young jazz musicians. Okay. Well, if you could turn back time and talk to your 18 year old yeah. self, would you talk them out of being yeah. a musician? <laughs> Be honest. Um, I would not, I would not talk them out, but I would say it's at points you're going to wonder why you did it because it's so tough. Um, at points you're going to be so broke. You're going to have, um, a lot of, you're really going to question why you've taken that path. And then you're going to be reminded when you return to the music, the music business is going to really break your back, but music itself is going to heal you. And that cycle will continue. And if you're, if you're crazy enough and willing enough to continue down that path, um, there, there is a lot of great joy that's going to come from the music and a lot of great sharing of joy that's going to come from the playing with musicians. So if you're willing to do that, then do continue. <laughs> I think I'd say that. No, no, I feel you on that. So what's your time span normally when you record? Do you do it all normally in a day? Do you do it in a week? Do you rent the studio? Do you own a studio? So I do my stuff in a very... Um, almost like a, like a producer, um, like a home beats producer approach. So I pre, I have a very basic home setup. Um, I mean, I, I can't record, uh, drums and saxophone and stuff here. You would hear too much outside interference, but, um, I record all my demos here. So, and I do a lot of very detailed programming. So my drums are often, um, I have like, a bunch of live samples and recordings of my drummer from my band Mabuta as well. And I'll, I'll create drum patterns that, um, represents the sound I'm going for, but leave some room open for my drummer to interpret and stuff. Um, and I'll program in keys parts and roads and bass and then play the melodies on guitar. So I'll make a really clear demo and I won't use MIDI sounds cause I don't like I don't like, re you know, the, the very basic MIDI sounds the, the sounds I use have to sound, um, uh, beautiful and like mo motivating to any any of the band members that hear the demos, um, and already something that you could in a in a sense like turn into a turn into a track, but a more of a, a a beatsy kind of thing. And then I'll take that to the band. We'll work on um, bringing it into life with the saxophone and the trumpet and everything live. Um, and then I'll often record that. You know, hopefully play a couple shows, listening listening to that as well. Track it on a little. Uh, two-track recorder, take it back, make a few tweaks. Um, my ideal process always includes a bit of performance before studio time. And then we go into studio and we tra track it. Um, and I usually like to take that stuff back home again and do more kind of beatsy editing on it. And it's just because 
because I come from a place of being a live musician as well as um, an electronic music producer, um, I think like that in a way. So a lot of the way I hear composition um, sometimes it pushes me to, to to keep that you know editing process over a few weeks. So I I love to go record the band in a very live way, all playing together, but in different rooms. So I've got multi tracks. Take it back and then sometimes almost think about remixing stuff. So when I hear it again, I might hear the bridge, for example, and think, oh man, I actually, the chords are dope, but I want to change the bass line and just re-record the bass line and that I can do at home. So it's a kind of, it's a space like that, but sometimes there'll be some music that I like to record, very old school, traditional, one take, one or two takes with the band live, um, no overdubs, we really hit it and the energy's meant to be that. So it's a balance of two and it just depends on the song. Certain songs will push me into something more producery. That I understand totally. Did that for my first album, did it completely yeah. live, one take. Amazing. And it's a completely yeah. different yeah. vibe than some of the other ones. So I fully oh, understand amazing. you on that. I got to check. Oh man, I got to check your stuff out. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it. Okay, cool. But back to you. This is not about me. Uh, so what's the <laughs> best compliment you ever received? Wow. Um, hmm. I can't think. Wow. That's a tricky one. Um, I, I can't think of it now, but I, I, there definitely was an instance where I, I think I, it sort of, it made me like pull back and go, whoa, that's, I've never heard such a beautiful, eloquent, you know, what thing, like the way the person described to me, the way they experienced the gig was so poetic and so um, like thoughtful, but sincere, like they didn't script it. It was, I really can't remember what it was, but it was, it was something that I'd never heard anyone else say. And I think that that was why it stood out. You know, most, most of the time you, when you get a compliment, it's, you've heard something similar before, like great, love that tune or nice baseline or whatever it was. Um, but there was something so sp specific. Um, and it was probably from someone who, you know, had a love for literature or something. I don't know. Cause they worded it in such a way where I was like, Oh man, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm a fan of what you said, you know? Yeah. yeah. I feel that. And if you could remove all barriers, all constraints, what type of yeah. project would you do and what will it be known for? Like who would be on it? Okay, cool. Um, damn. All right. So Kendrick Lamar, um, Kendrick. and then, um, who on drums? It's so tricky. I've got, I've just, I've got like a list of drummers in my head that I love I, being a bass player. I'm, I'm in love with drummers. Um, man, this, that's a crazy question. It's like, okay. Cause if you remove any borders as well, you could almost remove like, you know, people being dead, like bring them back to life, I guess. Right. Yep. So, and money's not an issue. It would be like, and <laughs> so it would be like John Coltrane, Kendrick Lamar, um, Thundercat. Um, it would have, man, it would have, um, oof, oof, oof. <laughs> that's a crazy one. Um, it would have Jaco Pistorius. It would have Charles Mingus. Um, it would have Cannonball Adderley. Um, it would have be like a big band, but there would be different kind of orchestrations with, you know, 
instrumentation moving and shifting and stuff. Um, there would be, for sure, Alvin Jones, for sure, Chris Dave, um, for sure, Fela Kuti, uh, Omu Sangare from Mali, um, Mulatu Astake from Ethiopia. Um, there would be my man Bukani Daya um, on piano. Uh, Carl Shepard on keys as well. Uh, wow. And God, I, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there because I'm going to keep going. It's okay, <laughs> man. So far, so good. <laughs> it's okay. a great, it's a great, yeah, I love okay, it. Okay, so before we go, you go. We normally yeah. like to give a shout out or show respects to artists who came before us, okay? So I'm going to give you yeah. an instrument and two artists. Choose one and tell us okay. why, Okay. Uh, trumpet, okay. Wynton Marcellus or Christian Scott? I would say Christian Scott, and that's just because um, I've resonated more naturally with most of his music. Mad respect to Wynton as well, um, but Christian's music I've, I've listened to a lot, and he's a huge influence. Um, and yeah, just amazing, amazing, powerful musician, and his his message as well is so strong. Yeah. Okay. On saxophone, Steve Coleman. Or Kenny Garrett? I would say Kenny Garrett um, also because I've listened to him more and he's influenced me more. Um, he's also influenced, I think he's influenced more of the musicians I work with regularly in South Africa. So in a big way. Um, so I think Kenny Garrett's sound is like very built into the modern South African jazz saxophonists influence. Most of the guys I know here. So it's kind of in our vocabulary more. So, yeah. Okay. On keys, Art Tatum or Herbie Hancock? Herbie Hancock. I love Art Tatum, of course, but Herbie's influenced me so much. All of the records he's played on, everything, every era he's played on as a sideman, as a band leader, like it's ridiculous. I sometimes just think to myself about the incredible artists I'm still alive at the same time as um, and what they've been through and how they're still creating now. And Herbie Hancock's one of those. He's like a real life x-man you know um and everything he's done from playing with miles through to bitches brew through to everything he's done in the modern era just blows my mind i, I can't believe the man's still alive and I've, I've been able to witness him still create um everything i listen to i listen to his stuff so often it's it's just a wealth of power yeah okay and drums joe jones or chick webb joe jones also, just listen to him more. He's more built into my kind of bass and drum. Um, what can I call it? Yeah, vocabulary. Um, so I guess a lot of a lot of my answers here are just coming down to what I've gravitated towards, and and what's built into my my subconscious. Yeah. Okay. On bass, Linda O. Yeah. Or Ellen Wang. Linda O. Absolutely love Linda O. Her composing is amazing. Um, and her side woman work with Lovano and all these great artists, um, Dave Douglas, um, is fantastic. She's really, really great. So, yeah, um, amazing composer. I'm, I really love her projects and the, the ensemble she puts together as well, her instrumentation, the way she thinks of stuff. Fantastic modern musician. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So... Shane, tell people where to find you, your social media, your websites. 
Um, so the best is my website is shanecoopermusic.com. Um, I try to keep it updated regularly with all the projects and links to the various um, social medias and stuff. Otherwise, you can find me on um, Instagram as Card on Spokes or Mabuta Music, which is my quintet, um, as well as on YouTube. Um, look for Shane Cooper Music or uh, YouTube.com slash Mabuta. I post a lot of stuff there. I've been posting a lot of stuff there on, on the Shane Cooper one in particular um, over the last while and generating a lot of content. So I'm trying to up my YouTube game at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, Shane, thank you for joining us. It means a lot. And thank everyone, you. this is Leander Young from Improv Exchange. Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks so much, Lee. I appreciate it, man. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.